We're looking at the subject of uh, what is church discipline and why do we do it. Uh, I would say I've never been in a church in my life that ever did it except this one. Why, I don't know. Uh, You'd think it wasn't in the Bible. And uh, there's all kinds of bad press for uh, how it gets done, whatever. So I thought, well, let's, let's just look in our Bible and see what it says. Because uh, we're people that say the authority for what we believe and for what we practice is the Bible. Okay? The, the, the Reformers call this sola scriptura. We do not bow before tradition, popes, or any councils. The Word of God alone, as Luther could say, my heart is bound to the Word of God I can bow to nothing else. So, now, that, that is quickly evaporating today because churches aren't being run by the Bible. Whatever gets people, whatever's popular, so we do it because uh, this is brutal, this is a Salem witch burning, all those kinds of things. So let's uh, look. Uh, what is church discipline is what we want to look at. Who is the subject of it? Where does it take place? How to do it? When do we do it? And why? Uh, Let me read to you here. Uh, Church discipline uh, is really, maybe I better say right with these notes, we're a local community of saints that meet in Christ's name, and we pledge ourselves to do the church according to his word. And so, We're trying to follow his word. Now, what is church discipline? Look at this little qualifier. God's people showing love and care for the sinning child of God who refuses to repent or to be restored to obedience. Does that make sense? It's God's people showing that brother or sister who is not refusing sin. It's one thing. Be sure of this. We don't discipline someone every time they sin, or we'd be in a meeting all the time. Okay? Uh, it's not. It's for lifestyle, practice, uh, unbroken sin. And I have to say, we don't discipline for a whole lot of sin that ought to be disciplined. You just get away with it. It's called pride, jealousy, envy, a lot of stuff that we never get to see, but you know what goes on in your heart. So we we're not, don't get to deal with everything. So we just deal with what God tells us. Let's look at several passages. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the story of an incestuous uh, brother in the church obviously sleeping with his stepmother, and said, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and that's where we assume it's his stepmother. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. What did he say do with them? Remove them, okay? For though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment 
on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled as a church in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan. Now, they could do that. I don't believe we get to do that. He had apostolic authority. I, I, I don't know that I could turn you over to Satan. It's pretty scary if I can. But Paul could. And he's telling them what to do. And he said, I, I may be absent physically, but I, I'm casting my vote. I'm turning this guy over to Satan. Scary. For the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Do you think he's saying he is still saved? Yeah, he's putting him out, but his spirit will be saved in the day of the Lord. So he must be a true believer. Huh? I'm not saying he's going to hell. I'm going to turn him over to Satan for Satan to rough him up. Whatever. I want his body to be destroyed some way. That's pretty strong. But ultimately, he'll be saved. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? That's a sin, a little unchecked sin, a little bacteria that goes unchecked. It, it will permeate the whole. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Therefore, move out of Corinth or the Bay Area. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers, or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. You can't get away from all these categories of sinners. You, I'm not telling you don't have anything to do with uh, immoral people, drunkards, sexually immoral. I, no, you'd have to get out of this world. Well, who are you talking to us about? Listen to what he says. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, professed Christian. They claim to be a brother. If he is guilty of sexual immorality. So we got a brother sleeping with a chick. We got a guy into porno. We got a guy into and bragging on all of his immoral behavior like no big deal, none of, no one's business. Well, be sure it is no one's business because once we find out, we've got to do something. Do you see what it says? It, who bears the name of brother, we must deal with these. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Man, I don't have time. Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? What does that verse say? Aren't we to deal with those inside the church? Yes. No, let's just gossip about them. But don't mention it. Well, love covers a multitude of sin. It doesn't cover this. You want to just do something about this. 
God judges the outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Keep reading. Watch. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to the law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? This is the saints. Do you see the verse? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? We don't go to Contra Costa Municipal Court to settle sin things in the church. We are able to constitute as much of a, a court for God as a municipal court. Settle your affairs in the church. Don't let the government get in our business. They're in it too much anyway. And they sure aren't going to get involved with this because they don't really care who you sleep with. Keep them out of this. We don't need them. We are competent. Now, guess what everybody always quotes? Judge not that you be not judged. Matthew 7, 1. What did he just tell me here? Don't you know that you're competent to judge? And I want you to judge within the church. I want, and the word judge there is not sentence as much as discern. We can call it for what it is. That's the idea of it. Even Matthew 7, when he said, judge not that you be not judged, for you'll be judged the same way you judge because you've got a plank in your eye. You're not qualified to judge because your problem is bigger than who you're judging. Then he says, don't cast your pearls before swine. Let me ask you a question. How could I obey that verse unless I was discerning what the person is? I have to make a judgment call. I'm talking to someone when it comes to discernment has the discernment of a hog. And Jesus said, don't cast my pearls before them. I had to make that judgment. That's a judgment call. So he goes right down and says, you've got to exercise judgment. So we uh, find, let me give you one other passage, and then we'll, uh, they're so self-explanatory once you read them that you don't need anyone to pontificate. Let God pontificate. Uh, he assumed there'd be differences between believers. You hate it, but it happens. Look in Matthew chapter 18. Jesus said in verse 15, if your brother sins against you, stuff it. Talk about it. Ignore it. Notice this sin is personally against them. It, it's, they've done something against me. Go tell the pastor. He's the hit man. No, no. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. End of case. Right there. Isn't that nice? You both have a disagreement. Someone offended you. Maybe told a lie on you. Whatever. You go to them. You work it out. Hallelujah. Watch those, second step. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So you go with 
next time to this brother, but you take at least two because in the Old Testament, something was vindicated by two witnesses. Take two to three, go, brother, I do have this. I want us to get it right. I, I brought these brothers for insight, for maybe discernment, help us out, but let's get this settled on the second level. Okay, well, uh, let's see how that goes. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Third step, you go to the whole church. You've tried first step, second step, now we're to the third step. We take it to the church. Now watch. If he refuses to tell to the church, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. He consider him outside the fellowship. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, and we always use this at prayer meetings, don't we? What are they gathered for here? For church discipline. And I'm, I commend you for showing up. If any service most folks should stay away with, God is calling them to greener pastures. You come to a hard kind of a service. He said, if two of you are willing to obey me and deal with this issue, the Lord Jesus says, I promise I'll be present. If two or three are gathered in my name, there I will. Did you know what? Christ is in the middle of this meeting tonight. This is his church. We're his members trying to carry out his will. And I'm going to tell you, he loves these young ladies far more than any of us do. He's the one that's paid the price. He did. And so he's watching us to see what attitude we do it in. And so... We see here, you've got Galatians 6 that says, if a brother's overcome in a fault, you who are spiritual, restoring. Restoration ought to be going on among us all the time because we're always goofing up, sinning, offending, or doing something. So it, it, get over it. You've got to be forgiving, seeking forgiveness, seeking reconciliation. It's a part of maintaining a body of believers the size of this church, any size. Matter of fact, the smaller the church, the more they fight. You get big enough, you can hide, and you get away with murder. Because we don't know what all is going on. Don't really seek to know. Uh, who's subject to church discipline? Well, anyone claiming to be a brother. Okay. Matthew, same thing. If a brother offends you. So we're not going after... The unsaved out here, they need the gospel. They need Christ. We don't, we don't even bring up sermons on their sin. You shouldn't do this. No, we give them the gospel. Give them Christ. Give them good news. Uh, but if it's a brother, 1 Timothy 5 is scary. It tells the elders that if one of us sin, what should we do? Look at 1 Timothy 5. I would think, if anything, as elders ought to be exempt. Uh, you know, uh, 
pick up verse 17 so you get the flow. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. Give them that too. Especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Really pour it on. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And the labor deserves its wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Never believe anything against a leader in this church unless you've got two to three people who say they saw it. Otherwise, you'll be a slanderer. And anybody that kills the reputation of a godly leader are committing murder. And according to the law of Moses, if you accused a man of something that he did not do, you were to receive the sentence he was to be given. If you accused him, let's say, of adultery, and he did not do it, we stone you. What's killed more churches than adultery is slander and gossip and bad-mouthing and talking about this one and that one. Hey, if you do that, God's looking on. And he says, when it comes to leaders, it's risky to lead anything, right? It, people can accuse you, whether you're a boss with your own company and accuse. But he said, in the church, don't be listening to accusations against, let's say, our deacons, our elders, those who are in places of leadership, uh, Sunday school teacher. I, I'm taking it further, but for sure, these elders, don't buy that. Did they see it where they were there? I've been involved in this churches in cases where we're getting ready to take people to court for something they were accused of. And guess what? Once we started producing witnesses, there were no witnesses. The case was dropped. Just a false accusation. So he says, if you do accuse them, there better be witnesses. And those who persist in sin, which means an elder can get into sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. And I think you rebuke them before the elders, and you may have to rebuke them in front of the whole church. Scary. In other words, elders are not above church discipline. We have given account. Are, are we mishandling the money? Now, we're not mishandling the money just because we spend it different than you would. You know, well, you don't do money the way I would. Oh, no, we don't. We actually keep a balance. <laughs> When's the last time you balanced your checkbook? Everybody knows what we ought to do with money. Uh, you go who's subject to church discipline. He goes to Titus. He tells you about those that are not, well, don't let me tell it. Let's look at it. We're right there by it. Titus, chapter 3, verse 10. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Look at Romans 16, 17. Romans 16. I didn't write that one down. Look at Romans 16, verse 17. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught, and avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, 
but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Those who are divisive are to be shut up. They are to submit or to be removed. Uh, it's a dangerous thing to mess in the affairs of a local church. We're here for unity. We're here to build up. We don't always agree. Never mind that you ever think that's. But we're not divisive. We're not splitting up the body of Christ. He says in the John passage, if someone comes to you and they're not abiding in the doctrine of Christ, they're not holding the truths about Jesus Christ, and they teach another Christ, a false Christ, have nothing to do with them, and do not welcome them into the assembly. So you have to have doctrinal discernment, don't you? What do you who do you say Christ is? Well, I think he is a created being. I think he began. Oh, uh, uh, Joseph Smith, who do you say he is? Oh, he's the twin brother of Satan. That's what Mormon theology says. No, 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 you, you can't join this church. Matter of fact, we're going to watch you. We're going to be good to you, but don't try to spread that teaching. See, doctrine, divisiveness, moral behavior. So various church leaders were accountable. We're accountable. Where does the discipline take place? It takes place in the fellowship of the saints. We don't meet over at my house so we can discipline somebody. Uh, we try to settle it. Primary process in this church is our elders go after sin issues and try to resolve it, try to get people to come in and solve it on that basis. Let, let's say, let's give an example. You can run scared on this. What if I sinned this week? Uh, what if I was immoral and I felt the grieving of the Spirit? I called one of the pastors, one of our elders, and I wanted to confess it. Uh, does that mean we meet Sunday night to discuss that? No. You repent it. It's taken care of. Let's go on. This would be the issue. I moved in with my boyfriend, and I'm not moving out, and we're going to live an immoral lifestyle, and it's none of your business. Because uh, I'm, I'm going to live this way. Please don't do that. Uh, it's ruining your testimony. you you're bringing shame on your Savior. This is not his will for you. I, I hear what you're saying, but I choose my sin. Okay? You don't want to repent. I don't want to repent. I'm going to stay here. Then we go to the next step, and we, the elders discuss it, make recommendation, and we come here many times. We don't come here too often, really. But we come here and say, okay. We'll, take it, we'll tell the whole church family, you don't want to walk with us anymore. You don't want to honor Christ. And so we'll turn you over to the Father. Okay? I, I said something this morning you don't want to forget. Church discipline is not Roman Catholic excommunication. Roman Catholics put you out, you're going to hell. We don't have that authority. Only Jesus gives the eternal sentences on people. We're just simply saying, we're putting you out of this fellowship. We can't let you abide on our membership in good standing and with approval. So we're just turning you over to the Lord. Now, how will, you tr how will we treat you in the days to come? Well, we want to be as hateful as we know how to be. 
We want to be mean to you to show you we love Jesus. And, and don't ever get hungry because we're not going to feed you because we only feed the saints that are walking right. No, no, no. We're not called to be mean. We're not called to do that. Uh, we're going to love you any way we can, admonish you when we see you. We're going to spend the rest of our time with you when we see you trying to pull you back. We want you to repent. We want you to come back. Um, let's keep going here. Uh, how should church discipline be done? We looked at Matthew. He gives the four steps here. And there's one, uh, one of our sisters we won't be bringing to you tonight because some of the elders mentioned we didn't do this step. We didn't do that step. So we said, well, wait. We'll give her more time. We've got to send some more letters, make some more contacts. Because we're not trying to frame anybody. We want to give them all the opportunity possible to repent and to get right. So we don't want to rush to judgment. Um, then uh, how should we do this discipline? Uh, as I talked with the elders yesterday, that verse 2 of chapter 5 is the thing. He said, you've become proud and arrogant about this sinning, brother, and you're looking the other way. Why didn't you grieve? Why didn't you mourn? They didn't care. That's why they didn't mourn. They didn't care. They were proud of their church. Uh, they were kind of like, uh, what was it, Sardis? You got a name that you're alive, but you're dead? Hey, it might hurt our church if we discipline on Sunday night. That's pride. That's pride. I don't want anyone to know our church does this. Why not? Jesus' church does it. I don't know about yours. If Jesus was here, we've got to ask ourselves, would he do what we we're going to do? And if you separate Jesus from his word, you don't know what he would do. Jesus has told us what he wants us to do in his word. Right? Amen. Um, he said we are to do this in Galatians. Here's the scary thing with meekness, considering ourselves lest we too be tempted. I find this process uh, rekindles the fear of God in me, which we desperately need in this day. Church has become so cheap, nobody fears God. Uh, I'll do as I please, and it's none of your business. There's not even a sense of community. That's why people aren't joining churches they don't want the church in their business, is that what we say? None of your business way I live. And so people are getting into all kinds of trouble. Um, I, I read a, or I heard a lecture describing um, Martin Luther King. And they said that uh, when ethics started eroding at Wall Street, they didn't mind the 60s burning a bra and sleeping with whoever and blowing your mind on drugs. But what killed men in the United States is it was moving up into the business realm so that there was no more absolutes how we do business. You can cheat. You can do this or that. See, if you were in India, when I was in India, Sequant Batia tells me something like this. 
We fight real strong to protect the purity of our daughters. But in business, it's assumed a businessman keeps five sets of books. And you think, we think you're a fool in the West to believe us. He said, we got a set we keep for ourselves. We got a set we keep for the shareholders. We got a set we keep for in-house stuff, a set for the government. He said, it's assumed you got to cheat to stay in business. And it's an assumed ethic that no one's bothered by. But don't mess with our girls. Well, a sociologist out of Virginia University, uh, they, all of a sudden Martin Luther King became the subject of courage. And uh, where did he get that backbone to stand up and risk his life in the civil rights movement? And this sociologist study was interesting. Whether you like King or not, this is what he came up with. That when King was a boy growing up in Birmingham, uh, and in that era, 40s and 50s, everybody knew your business. Uh, I think of Linda Patterson. Uh, George used to tell me, he grew up in Houston, and he couldn't misbehave for five blocks anyway from where they lived without one of the mamas calling his mother. Anybody remember those days? I'm going to tell your mama. I'm going to tell you. What? Now, guess what? With our culture, we've moved away from everybody that knows us. I, I'm moving to New York. Nobody knows me there. And so as you keep breaking up community and people going away, and they said of Martin Luther, here he had his mom and daddy in Birmingham, had the neighbors. If you went to the store and misbehaved, the store owner knew your dad. That's where they've done business all these years. Do you know anybody at Lucky's? I just know they're kind of sloppy. <laughs> I don't know anybody down there. But if I was doing business with my store clerk that knew my dad and my mom, I'd have a lot more patience. Because you can tell them off and nobody would know about it. And see, society-wise, we've been broken up so much, there's nobody in our lives that care. None of your business. None of your business. Well... And now you're in trouble. Nobody speaks to your behavior, your attitude, your choices to pick you up, to tell you that's not the way your dad would have done it. That's not the way your mama would. You, you raised different, boy. You know better than that. Straighten out. But you move away. You move away. Nobody knows. And so nobody cares. And especially men in our culture are lonely, lonely, lone rangers that nobody seems to ask them anything about what they do, and they do some foolish things. We need people in our life that make a difference. And the local church, what a great community to help you know God. You can't know God ultimately as he should be known without community. You've got to have another person in your life you love. Love one another. You can't obey the verse without another. Stand in the mirror and love yourself. No, no, love one another. You've you got to have community. Um, do it with faithful obedience. Turn with me um, to uh, Revelation. When do we do church discipline? I, um, we do it when things that fit 1 Corinthians' description 
unrepentant sin, uh, not turn back. Uh, but why do we do it is what I would touch. Jesus Christ warned the churches of Asia Minor that if they ignored sin and would not deal with it as he instructed, then he would remove them. In obedience to the Lord and in the fear of the Lord, we seek to restore sinning saints. Those saints who refuse to be restored by repentance are to be removed in love and in reverence for Jesus Christ, the head of the church. Obey Christ or be removed. Look at chapter 2 of Revelation. Verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. He says that in verse 5, verse 16, verse 21, chapter 3, verse 3, chapter 3, verse 19. If you don't do what I tell you, I'm going to remove you. Repent or be removed. Repent or be removed. First time God ever gave us as a church the courage to discipline a bragging adulterer that I barely knew but bragging to me in the car about his adultery. Uh, and I'd never seen discipline done to start at the church. Uh, God, I prayed because I didn't want to do it. Uh, I, I was scared about it. Uh, the thing that scared me the most is some way I read Revelation 2 and 3 around that time, and I just heard the Lord saying, you remove them or I'll remove you. The future of this church is based on whether we will obey God. I said, the future of this church is not on how big our building is, how big a music program we have, and how many programs we offer. Tell me, first of all, will this body obey the head of the church? That is the first question. Did, if we practice discipline tonight, will it be practicing what Jesus said to do? If not, I want you to ask questions in the Q&A and call, take us to task. You're unbiblical. This isn't any place in the Bible. This should happen. If it is, let's just do it in dependence on the Lord. Um, so pray, grieve, seek to restore them. Sinning Christians can be restored by another in private, and that is enough. All Christians sin are able to confess and repent without it ever coming to church discipline. Church discipline is an effort that when nothing else has seemed to turn them back. 